Welcome to Medical Minefield, where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Barney Kalman, health editor at The Mail on Sunday, and with me today is The Mail on Sunday's deputy health editor, the ever insightful Eve Simmons. Hello. So plans to share our medical records with third party tech giants who might be interested in buying our confidential data. The plans have been shelved as of last Tuesday. I have to admit, um, I did know this was happening, but I kept losing interest in the whole thing. We apparently we had to opt out of this system and the, the fuss was because no one knew about it anyway in order to opt out people were saying it had been the plan had been rushed through uh, while everyone was distracted by the pandemic i read somewhere that you couldn't even opt out via an email you had to send a you know a smoke signal or homing pigeon or sort of snail mail i don't know it was all very untechnological and confusing and plus I mean, data. I mean, if you try and read about it on the NHS website, you fall asleep instantly. It's like a magic trick. Uh, I have to say, <laughs> I have to say, we've spoken about this a, a few times, and I, I, I glaze over Eve. It, can you explain in a very simple way for people now that we've got some breathing space to actually understand it? What is going on? Yes, I will try my very best. So it isn't actually as exciting as it sounds. In fact, <laughs> yes. so, yeah, um, and therefore we've dedicated our podcast to it. Um, but no, it is very important, obviously, for people to know what's going on. So we have already had our GP data collected for a number of years, and this is often used to benefit the public health interest. Um, so what this is doing is instead of letting GP surgeries and individual GP practices um, kind of have ownership of the data that they might release to third party organisations, it's collecting GP data and um, the data that's collected from hospitals. So that's currently held by NHS Digital and putting them both onto one database so that therefore you can researchers will be able to make links between the two sets of data and it takes the pressure off GP practices. And my understanding is the worry is that this data could be sold to a tech giant who then could sell it on and this information would make its way into the hands of companies that may use the information against us in some way. Yes, so that is slight misreporting. It's not quite the case that that's what's going to happen. There's two things here. Firstly, the information will be NHS Digital are very unhelpfully using the term, I'm going to pronounce this incorrectly, um, pseudonymized. Pseudonymized, there you go. Yes, (laughs) Um, rather than um, saying that it's going to be completely anonymous. And that's because the data is going to be turned into codes. This is, please don't switch off, listeners. It's not going to take very long. So it's going to be switched into codes. Maybe you should try to sing it. I think that will make it worse, probably. And then once it's turned into codes, that means that we are non-identifiable. So your name won't be uploaded to this database, so nobody's going to know what your name is. But there will be certain semi-identifiable characteristics like your postcode rather than your full address, and that just allows researchers to identify links between certain areas of the country and certain health conditions. Okay. Sorry. I'm bored. (laughs) 
No, honestly, I mean, I can understand why no one really was was engaging with this. It's not that interesting. Why why are people so upset? I, I don't know. I think because people feel cheated that they don't understand. They don't understand it. But it makes me think we already give away huge amounts of information about ourselves. You know, during the COVID pandemic, we were all uploading our symptoms onto that Zoe app. And that's being run by a private company, isn't it? I mean, they could do anything they like with the data exactly and and they know and weirdly the one of the questions that they were asking on the on the zoe app was whether or not we ate sauerkraut or something or how many fermented foods we ate like why did they need to know that and wasn't there advice as well that perhaps you should you ought to try eating some fermented food if you had some sort of problem yeah what's going on there well exactly exactly so we, i think people are being a bit selective in what they're getting fussed about but before we go any further and before everyone completely switches off i'd like to speak to professor martin marshall who's chair of the royal college of general practitioners they had called for the pause in the plans to amalgamate all this data so they could better understand it. I'm hoping he can tell us what the concerns may be, but also they seem broadly supportive of the idea of it happening um, and, you know, perhaps persuade us to opt in or opt out or whatever it is that we have to do. Professor Marshall, thanks very much for finding some time to talk to us. It's a pleasure. Professor Marshall, the Royal College of General Practitioners called for a pause in plans to share the uh, health data with third parties. Can you explain why you were calling for that? You know, obviously it's happened now and and we've all got time to better understand what's going on. And I, I just wondered if you could, from your perspective, say what was being proposed and why you felt that we needed more time. Yeah, absolutely. So we're very pleased to be in this position where government have accepted our call to delay the implementation of the sharing of data so that we can have proper conversations which allow patients to be informed uh, before they give uh, consent about sharing their data. So the issues here, I'll start with principles, if I may. Sharing data about people's health is really important. It's important clinically of course. And I think most patients would expect their GP to share data with a specialist that are referred to. So, for example, if I send a a referral to an orthopaedic colleague around a patient who might need a new hip replacement, for example, that I will tell that orthopaedic colleague what the problem is, um, what other health conditions a patient has, what medication they're on, a little bit about their social circumstances. So if they have an operation, they know what support is required. All of that sharing of information is good and is important. And patients expect it. Indeed, patients complain when we don't share information and they have to repeat it. Um, So clinical sharing of information is, is fine. And I think most people accept it. The issue here is about sharing information either for the purpose of improving services all for the purposes of research. And um, over many years, government have tried to uh, get patient consent to share data for those purposes. And a few years ago, we had a bit of a fiasco called uh, Care.Data, in which they attempted to do it. There was a big public outcry, um, and it just got dropped. And this most recent attempt to share data is, is, the, is the second approach towards trying to get it right. Now, we've been working with NHS Digital, which is the government body responsible for getting this uh, sorted, uh, over two or three years. We've been working on a number of safeguards to make sure that data is shared safely. But what NHS Digital hadn't done is communicate what they were doing effectively with the public or indeed with clinicians as well. And they intended to implement uh, the process of data sharing, basically 
extracting data from GP records um, into a single database that they held. They're proposing to implement that from the beginning of July. And we said, look, you really can't do that until people are able to make informed decisions about whether they want their data to be shared or not. And that's what we've asked for the delay about. So how can people make an informed decision? Because I struggle to get my head around this beyond the fact that someone's creating a new spreadsheet somewhere. You know, what should I be consenting to or objecting to? Well, it's a really good question. And this is very complex territory. And and even the most informed, brightest people often have difficulty getting their head around it. So I'm not surprised that you and many others are, are a bit confused by it. What people want to share is data that is in patient records, which is coded. So in GP records, a lot of our information has a specific uh, computer code to it that allows you to extract it from the system. Some of the information is free text and that can't be extracted. But what we're talking about is coded data about obviously uh, demographics, what age, what sex, what address, what postcode, all of that stuff, but also about what conditions you might have, what drugs you might be on, and a range of other uh, clinical information as well. So the question is, is how do you extract that data in a way which is safe, in a way which is trustworthy, in a way in which uh, the public are confident that it will be used for to provide better care for them, either through um, improving services or, or through research, but isn't shared inappropriately and isn't able to be identified. The big issue here is that when the data is extracted from GP records, it's anonymized using a range of different uh, technical processes so that um, when people look at the data, they can't say, well, this is Mrs. Smith from whatever street down the road. That process of anonymization is really important. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say that they've called this pseudonymizing the data. And so people have said it won't be identifiable. Had it all gone ahead and I hadn't objected or people hadn't objected, would I ever have known my data had been shared? Would it really have affected me in any way had it all just been pushed through? Well, I think it's an important question about whether the anonymization process or the pseudonymization process, as it's called, which is kind of partial anonymization, um, is safe or not. In most cases, um, you could be confident that that process of anonymization is robust and it is rigorous. But it is possible for very clever people to sometimes uh, link uh, health data, specific characteristics of health data, to other elements of data which are out there floating in, in the system in order to identify specific people. So if you know, for example, that a person is in their 20s and is a male and has got two kids and has got diabetes, and you know also that they've got a bank account in such and such a place and they bought a washing machine from somewhere else, you can link that data together and possibly identify that individual. Now, that's illegal. So the vast majority of people wouldn't do it. But if anyone with, with malevolent intent wanted to try to do it, then sometimes they can. And, you know, there's, there's stories about, you know, politicians with kids being uh, identified. And that's really worrying. It's very rare. It's very unlikely to happen. But it is a risk. And I mean, I just can't understand why people would want to identify us. Something I heard suggested was the idea that an insurance company might try and buy this information and then bar us from getting travel insurance, and which seems slightly unlikely, especially considering it was it would be illegal for them to do so. But I mean, is is that a concern? Well, I think I think insurance companies are sometimes cited as organisations that might have interest in that data, but there are sufficient safeguards out there 
to stop insurance companies using it in any way that isn't completely transparent. So I don't think I don't think that's a problem. The problem would be, you know, uh, you know, perhaps journalists identifying people and pursuing them, for example, or perhaps uh, secret services uh, doing so, uh, for example. So it, it tends to be at the kind of the more suspicious um, end of the spectrum. Well, I'm not sure that we would. <laughs> I'm not sure that we would be trying to do anything like that. I don't, I don't think uh, it would be in our gift to unpick information like that. I mean, um, would you be t- to summarise? Would you be happy for your broadly speaking? Would you be happy for your data to be uploaded to this spreadsheet? The answer is yes, I would, uh, because I do believe that sharing data is really important. I want other clinicians and, and hospitals and others to know what is going on. I want the NHS to use my data in order to be able to improve the services that I receive. And I definitely want data to be used for research purposes. And we've seen the sharing of data around COVID during the COVID pandemic has resulted in the research into new drugs and new vaccines, which has been really important. So, yes, I would. And I would be confident that the processes that are in place are sufficiently robust for it to be as safe as it possibly can be. Mm. So, yes, I would. Well, look, Professor Marshall, thank you for explaining things so clearly. This is a very complex subject, obviously. Indeed it is. And, it, and, it, and I think that's why this process of uh, communication with the public and with clinicians over the next three months um, as a consequence of the delay that's been put into the process is so important. Mm, Absolutely. Professor Marshall, thanks for finding some time to talk to us. If you've got a question or a suggestion for a topic that we should cover on Medical Minefield, please do get in touch with me directly on Twitter by searching at Barney Kalman. That's B-A-R-N-E-Y-C-A-L-M-A-N. Or you can search for me and I'm at Eve Simmons, E-V-E-S-I-M-M-N-S. What did happen to your O? It was already taken, so I had to misspell it, unfortunately. Well, I think I understand it all and I'm immensely reassured by what Professor Marshall says. Yeah, he was, well, from my understanding, he was slightly wrong on a few points there. I'm also going to leap to the defence of our profession. Given what he said about journalists, I know that, you know, he may not have meant it quite like that but there will be incredibly strict restrictions on who can access this data nhs digital have ownership of the data set and there are several regulatory bodies that the requests for the data have to go through in order to get their hands on it lots of paperwork lots of paperwork and they have to prove anyone who wants access to the data has to prove that their request is for the benefit of public health i thought that the concern was that a company that buys it for genuine research purposes then has the data and then they could sideline it to another part of their company um, and use it for a different purpose. So, for instance, there was that problem with um, Google and 23andMe, the DNA testing company. They, they're still around and you do a test and, and they come back and tell you what your genetic heritage is and all sorts. Only um, 5% Ashkenazi Jews. W- whatever it is. Yeah. And uh, But the problem was that this data then could be shared with anyone they decided to sell it to. And there was a bit of a hoo-ha about it. I think I think they still do uh, sell it. And, I, you know, I signed up for journalistic reasons years ago, so I'm probably floating around somewhere on their 
exactly and social exchange for data we know that this happens often with social media companies and and lots of websites where you have to enter in your data in order to pass a certain test to get onto the next page of the website could that happen well no because this is the nhs and i think that's really key here and as we know as journalists having to you know negotiate various barriers within the nhs to get information it's completely impossible sometimes because it's so tightly guarded um and there's there's an independent body called the independent group advising on the release of data um, mm. which everyone has to go through uh, in order to get access and then there's another um, independent body as well once they pass that test um, and there's regular audits on the data and there's contracts that the companies or research bodies have to have with the NHS on this specific data and it's also worth saying that this has been going on for a while with already existing data that anyone really has been able to get access to it and only roughly I think it's under five percent of the organizations that get access to our NHS data are private companies so it is mainly universities researchers Mm. um, people who want it for good reasons the first I think I really engaged with this was a few weeks back when our colleague the Mail on Sunday's columnist Peter Hitchens came round and and said have you heard about this and he's been very worried about this and has written about uh, his concerns with this being a thin end of the wedge that our most personal details are being sold off by by the government and the NHS. I think that we should hear his side of the story because he's very compelling in his argument, Eve. Yes, I agree. He's referred to this as scraping of our data, which is, is an interesting take. So on the line now is Peter Hitchens, the Mail on Sunday's columnist, who has very strong views about this. Peter, why are you so concerned about what you refer to as the scraping of our personal GP data? It's not my word, actually. Um, as far as I know, it's, it's a word used in official documents about it, but I'm concerned about it because I, I, I only discovered about it just before it was due to happen. I think if one's going to share one's information with all kinds of people, pr- private information about, about one's health and medical details, one should do it voluntarily. We have to be asked, really. And the NHS has made very little effort to let people know that this is about to happen. And if you don't object to it, then your information simply will be scraped, as it were, into a great big bucket from which it can be given to third parties whose identity we don't yet know. I just think this is the wrong way around. And so, like quite a lot of people, I have myself written out to my GP and said, thank you very much, I don't want to do this. Not so much because I, I, I'm against it, though I, in a strange way I am, but because of the way in which it's been done. And well, you said in some ways you are against it. So, I mean, some people have said that it's actually really beneficial for public health because it means that our data is going to be used to aid uh, research, which has proved very important during the COVID-19 pandemic. What do you think about that? Well, there's research and research, isn't it? There's research by private uh, drug companies and so forth. And there's research which is trying to make uh, life better for everybody. And I distinguish between the two. And the problem here is we don't actually know who's going to get the data. Also, as I understand it, there are keys within it which would, in certain circumstances, enable uh, people to find out who you are. Uh, And I don't like the sound of that very much either. I think it would have to be totally anonymized. As I say, it's much more a case of really, honestly, if you want to do this, you have to ask us. You can't just say, we're taking your information unless you tell us not to. 
everybody knows whether it's postal ballots for trade unions or any kind of take up of, of anything and the recent controversy over organ donation anybody knows that if you if you don't ask people and just do it you get more but it's not necessarily very good for the freedom of the individual or the privacy of the individual and those things are just important for their own sake Hmm. And I know you've written before about the kind of wider concerns you have about the general interest in, in sharing people's data. What, what are the concerns you have about that? In general, I think that the more that the, the state and indeed uh, the enormous private businesses, which now rival the state for power, know about us, the more powerless we become as individuals and the more power they have over us. It alters the relationship between the individual and business, it alters the relationship between the individual and the state, and it makes us less free. And the most fundamental barrier to prevent this from happening is that people should be able to choose, uh, that it shouldn't be compulsory. And effectively, this is compulsory because most people, until a few weeks ago, had no idea it was going on. And the response I got when I publicized this, both in the mail on Sunday and on social media, was a lot of people saying, well, I had no idea about this. And, and for that reason, uh, I'm opting out. And I, I just think the, the, the NHS has made, a, has made a blooper here and has, has foolishly assumed that it can get away with it. And I, I suspect that it may have to, in the end, withdraw. But NHS Digital has been collecting information from us for a number of years and indeed all of the information that's held by our GP practices as, as well. And, you know, for a while now, third party companies, organisations have been able to apply to access our data. But NHS Digital do say that they are very strict um, about who it is that does access this data. Is this a, an issue of trust for you that you don't? Yeah, you don't it trust? is. I, I've, I've been reassured so many times by so many people that everything would be all right and found out that actually it wasn't. But I'm afraid I'm not prepared to take such promises on trust in future. I understand that. And the same go for sort of social media companies and supermarkets that maybe oh, aren't to collecting your data. Well, they don't, they, they don't collect my data. I, I won't have any of these cards because, as I say to them, when I'm ceaselessly offered them, do you want a Boots card? I, I'm being tracked by quite enough people already. Thank you very much. I, I don't want the supermarkets to join in. So, no, I try, I try not to, to, to do any of that. I feel that it, 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 who, who the, the old question that uh, Lenin asked is, is always a good question, even though it was asked by Lenin, who, who, who's, who, who's in charge here? Who's benefiting from it? And it's not always me. And it, it may well sometimes be at my expense. And I just think if you, if you, if you want information of that kind, just ask and say, please. Well, well, now the government has announced that they're going to delay this deadline. So the British public will have another couple of months to hopefully get some understanding about what this means for them. Does that not satisfy you? Well, it might do. Let's see. I, I, I think given more time to consider it, I might be more sympathetic. But this is the government would never have reconsidered it if it hadn't been for, for, for the media, even including little me, uh, complaining about this. It would just have gone ahead, and on June the 23rd, all your stuff would have been would have been scraped. And it, it's only because of this fast that it isn't been. And I have a feeling that the arrangements that eventually emerge will be better than they were because people made a fuss about it. And so that's an, another good argument for having a vigilant, independent press, isn't it? But some people have argued, Peter, that that really, even if the media the media hadn't have noticed this and no one had written anything about this, that it would have just gone ahead and really it wouldn't have had a huge impact on each person's individual life. They, they wouldn't have had a clue that it was happening and, and it wouldn't really have affected them on a day-to-day -day basis. Isn't that right? Well, it's perfectly true. They wouldn't have had a clue that it happened. 
And in most cases, they wouldn't have known what was going to happen. The, the, the problem is that, that there, there would have been cases where people would have discovered that things which they thought were confidential had been passed to people who ought to have known them or, or without, their, without their consent. And I think in a free society, consent is important. I just don't, I can't overstress this. If we're just serfs, everything and everything about us is known and and all authority knows it, but we can't know anything about authority, which constantly tries to dodge press inquiries, freedom of information inquiries, and, and, and just simply clams up on vast amounts of the areas in which it operates. And commercial companies are just as bad. That seems to me to be the wrong way around. If you don't resist it, you will end up, as I say, as a kind of 21st century surf. It, it, it's every, everything about you is known by people about whom you know nothing. That must be the wrong way around. Yeah, it is. I will um, testify to that. It's very difficult to get any information out of the NHS as a, as a health reporter, I'm, I'm very aware. Um, Peter, thank you so much for joining us. Hi. Sorry to interrupt your listening, but there's another great podcast from The Mail on Sunday you might want to try. Liz Jones's Diary, The Podcast, offering a weekly look into the life of Britain's most unfiltered columnist. That's me. Find us at mailplus.co.uk. I tell you what really struck a chord with me, just you picked up on it as well, that Peter pointed out very uh, elegantly just how difficult it is getting any straight answers out of uh, government organisations and, and getting them to hand over data. And they're, they're, they feel like uh, they've not got our best interests at heart. When we were doing our big investigation into um, COVID deaths uh, from hospital-acquired mm. COVID, at every turn, NHS England, uh, who somehow managed to find out, despite the fact we told no one that we were doing this article, at every turn they tried to block and obfuscate and they were completely unhelpful and they denied and they even weirdly claimed to me at one point that we weren't allowed to report that these people had died from covid because they weren't even sure themselves when in fact it's clear as day that they had and we'd spent so much time saying if it's something's written on the death certificate it's it's pretty much going to be a fact yeah i remember that fiasco but it's every single time we do anything they're always ironically uh, impossible even when i was researching this and trying to find out exactly what this was about about nhs data getting an answer out of anyone was almost impossible oh. i contacted several of their data specialist bodies and no one seemed to be able to want to talk to me on the record i find nhs digital a bit more human but certainly when it gets into the whole government side of things they they make everything as clear as mud and there's a real sense of malevolence i i get i you know hate to, to have to say yeah. that yeah i mean i spoke to nhs digital about this and they were in the end they were quite helpful but then when i asked about i named specific private companies that i know there has been some concerns about specifically um palantir which oh are, yes they're, they're they're involved with the uh, u.s immigration sharp yeah. practices aren't they i was told they didn't know anything about that and i had to go and talk to nhs x which just Who? seems <laughs> in what stratosphere. Um, but you would have thought they're all the NHS. They would have some idea about what this company was that's very involved. It's the civil service, isn't it? I yeah. mean, who knows what evil lurks. It also makes me think of uh, a recent criticism uh, we got on Twitter for having been tipped off about the fact that NHS England would reverse their decision to uh, move to a total telephone triage system. Some of our critics suggested that we had been... Uh, given the nod 
by NHS England uh, that we would win our campaign. Um, and, you know, this couldn't be further from the truth. I think there's a real separation uh, between people who like us who want to try and transmit the facts um, about what's going on um, and the people that hold the data and hold the information and want to control it themselves. They don't like us. Um, you know, we're such a fly in their ointment. And, I mean, Peter's right. If it hadn't been for people like him kicking up a fuss, um, you know, I, I, I don't think we would have uh, seen this pause happening. And, and it is only right that people should be consented because, you know, it's it's our private health information. Yes. I mean, objectively, it is for the greater good. And I do believe that this is as beneficial for all of us as the COVID vaccination programme, to be honest, um, in the long run. But yes, I guess you, you have to give people the, the right to understanding about what is going to happen to their data. Some people have called this a thin end of the wedge. I happen to think that we're halfway through the wedge at the moment. You know, that we began sharing and uh, removing our privacy, you know, with the invention of the internet. And it's all out there. And Ultimately, and this is something I've always said, my big paranoia is that the next great, I don't know if I'm allowed to use this word, apartheid mm. um, that's going to happen will be a health apartheid. That people will be divided up in society by their physical well-being, their health, and that people who are not in robust health uh, will be barred from certain freedoms. And, you know, we keep hearing things like that with the with the COVID passports. I know this sounds like paranoia and, you know, I have watched too many sci-fi films. I was going to say episodes of Black Mirror. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I, I do think, you know, it's... Uh, it's actually... We're, we're heading that way. We're heading that way. Well, but sort of coming full circle, it's interesting you say that because a lot of the experts I've been speaking to about this NHS data grab, as it's been called, have said that that's precisely why this has been set up because the discrepancies between different demographics and different areas of the countries in terms of health has been highlighted during the COVID pandemic. And... This allows researchers to be able to see those inequalities even clearer and be able to come up with solutions that will tackle that and address some of those inequalities. So it's it's trying to resolve that issue exactly. Yeah, right. <laughs> Sorry, I just... <laughs> I'm being the PR person for NHS Digital here today. Yeah, I... well, we'll have to see. I think if I can give my data to Amazon Alexa quite freely, I would happily do what I could to help the health service improve everyone. Oh God, you have Alexa listening to your every move. No, I actually got rid of Alexa, but now I have Google Home. So, same thing. Well, Google, if you are listening into this conversation, then um, I'm doing up my house at the moment <laughs> and I'd very much like a, one of your snazzy video doorbells. Uh, that's all we've got time for. Uh, you'll find all the latest health news in this weekend's The Mail on Sunday and visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. You can also follow us on Twitter by searching at mailplus. We'll be back with another topic on Medical Minefield next week. See you then. Goodbye. Goodbye.